You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Welcome to another live program here on Voice of Islam radio station. Today you're joined by myself, Safir, and Fahim in the studio here in London. Assalamu alaikum, Fahim. How are you doing? Wa alaikum salam. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Uh, it was uh, now finally very sunny after yeah. very, very. Uh, really rainy rain, yes. right? yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely i think we can all agree that the weather is changing now yeah definitely taking that turn towards and the days are going to get shorter and you know it's going to be dark at 4 p.m and yeah we're gonna we're gonna come into the studio and uh, we're gonna leave it it's gonna be light when we come in and dark when we leave yeah that's coming isn't it yep definitely uh well, the, we have uh, two topics for uh, our guest today. So if you're tuning in, uh, we will be talking about uh, dementia in the first hour. Um, now, obviously, dementia is a complex and often heartbreaking condition. And it affects millions of people, um, their families as well. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a very painful uh, yeah. A thing to witness, uh, especially for those people around, and the family, and those uh, who are around the individual suffering. The individual, of course, is suffering as well. Uh, but I think the people around them see the, you know, the painful side of it. So we're going to talk about that, um, and 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 the reason why we're going to talk about that is for awareness and obviously for uh, understanding how to. Uh, care for that and how mm. we can prevent uh, or, or try to at least you know reduce the chances of uh, having these diseases we always look at that from that perspective as well um, and then in the second hour we're going to talk about something very different isn't it Fahim? Yes we're going to be talking about uh, bricks and not the bricks that uh, you yeah. put for in anyone, line for, yeah. to build something no, right? No, is no, it? No. Um, we are talking about Brazil, Russia, India, <laughs> China, and South Africa, um, and the 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 inclusion of uh, new countries into this membership, uh, and what it means to the world. Is it a sign that um, you know things are changing? Not changing, and are things in the world just completely changing on their head? And yeah, I think we're going to discuss it in more detail soon. Absolutely. What is BRICS, and what does it mean? For the world, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we'll discuss that in the next hour. But uh, let's uh, carry on with the conversation for this hour, which is about dementia. Uh, now, here is a fact for you that one in 11 people over the age of 65 have dementia in the UK. Uh, so in this show, we'll be looking at the profound and enduring impact of dementia, often referred to as the long goodbye. So... There's multiple aspects of dementia. We'll discuss the emotional toll as well, uh, the challenges faced by caregivers, you know, the importance of early detection and the hope that research brings to this ongoing struggle. But we aim to shed light on realities of dementia. And then obviously, as I said, you know, to raise awareness yeah. and, um, you know, give some insight into how we as a society can better understand these issues mm. uh, and cater for a better support mechanism around it and uh, you know cope with the challenges uh, that we face definitely and I think that you know the the phrase often used the, the long goodbye 
I mm. think that that there's realities to that where you actually see someone you care about um, or someone you've known in a specific way or uh, to kind of deteriorate like mentally cognitively and to to see that takes on a massive emotional toll and I think that um, sometimes we can take it for granted uh, having people in our lives that aren't going through that um, and yeah that's why we wanted to discuss this topic because it's something very real it's something that really impacts not just one person that's that's the thing right like um, I think that the impact it has on everyone around them and like we'll go on to the definition a bit later but like you know it's it's the decline in, in cognitive function with where it impacts your life like this isn't you just becoming more forgetful or you know oh I don't know where I put my keys or, or anything like that this is like where you repeat tasks because you're really struggling because you genuinely don't remember things and I think that yeah we'll go into it in a bit more detail but it's a very real uh, disease that um really mm. impacts not just the individual but everyone around them yeah yeah absolutely uh zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call if you wish to uh give us a call um you know if you want to express your own uh maybe you have experience with uh, keep caring for somebody mm. uh with uh, dementia and um you would like to share with us your um you know uh, your view then you're most welcome to join us um and of course in the yeah sorry for no. him, just islamically as well yes. because yeah. you know somebody could be saying that okay we're talking about dementia here on voice of islam why yeah. is because as part of religious uh and, and spiritual uh faith is concerned you have to take care of uh, those people who are suffering it yeah. could be you it could be somebody else it doesn't matter it's a big part of faith to take care of each other as human beings and uh, sacrifice sometimes your own wishes desires and mm. time taking care of elderly especially is very important in islam in in, in the islamic religion and uh, the welfare of people as well uh, yeah. so it's it's an individual individual uh, responsibility but also a responsibility on the society as a whole as well yeah. to uh, fulfill so we're going to talk about that as well uh but uh, let's go to first to our uh first guest for uh this hour we have uh, with us uh, Saira Bhatti uh who has uh, received a bachelor of sciences degree in uh, cognitive and clinical uh, neuroscience um, and uh, has recently also completed her masters in dementia uh neuroscience uh, Saira assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and uh, welcome to the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam. Can you hear us? Yes, assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Thank you for yeah. having me. I'm just going to put your volume up a little bit because I think it's a bit low. Um, so thank you for joining. I um, wanted to ask you, um, obviously this is a, a broad topic, but um, starting with, with yourself, uh, the inspiration or experiences that have led you to study uh, neuroscience uh, what motivated you to dive into this field of study and how has your you know your, your journey been um so my journey into the field of neuroscience was actually influenced a lot by my personal experiences 
So, unfortunately, I lost my grandmother to dementia a couple of years ago. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, and, yeah, at the time, dementia, so it was a couple of years ago, so dementia hadn't really garnered any significant awareness as such. Um, and I myself was a teenager, so I wasn't really aware of anything that was happening. Um, and it was very hard. But throughout this journey, it sparked like a desire within me. So I wanted to understand what was happening. Um, I wanted to look at the underlying mechanisms. So I wanted to make sense of what was happening specifically within the brain and how did this impact uh, behavior, for example. Um, and up until that point, I didn't really know that a neuroscience degree existed. So for me, my avenue was like I was going to go into medicine um, and then specialize in neurodegenerative diseases. But then towards the end of my A-levels, I found out that neuroscience did actually exist as a degree. And then through personal research um, at the brain and just its role in general, because um, it's basically the epicenter of human cognition, mm. um, emotion and behavior. So I did lots of volunteering. I tried to get as much exposure as I could into the field of dementia and neuroscience. Um, and of course, my emotional connection was also a powerful motivator mm. um, and it propelled me towards researching neuroscience and then developing a career within neuroscience specifically. Mm. Looking at what you said of course about the mind being obviously the part of the body which controls the rest of your body which is you know quite amazing in that sense and is there is there very little that we know about how you know uh, the, the in terms of neuroscience when you compare it to other uh, parts of the bodies that we perhaps have more research done on we have more knowledge on um i think that's the fascinating thing with the brain is that it's we're constantly learning new things new avenues we're constantly exploring new pathways through drugs or research trials um so I think there's a lot that is not known in neuroscience. I know myself, like when I was writing papers and reading papers in the field, a lot of them ended with the idea that more research needs to be done. We can't form any solid conclusions without more research. And that's the recurrent theme within neuroscience, I think, that it's constantly changing and constantly there's new things being learned. So um, to answer your question, I think, yes, I think there's not much known yet. Um, but lots of research is being done, so hopefully. Right, and, you know, obviously completing a master's degree in dementia and neuroscience is a great achievement. We wanted to hear some key moments or research projects from your academic journey that particularly inspired or shaped your understanding of dementia. Oh, certainly. So, um Throughout my degree, of course, through lectures and seminars and lots of different research, um, I learned just how little I knew of dementia. So I thought I had researched it quite thoroughly, um, but there was so much that I didn't know. For example, dementia actually encompasses over 100, I think 100 to 200 different types of diseases. Um, and of course, everyone knows about Alzheimer's disease, which accounts for just over 50% of all dementia cases. But there are so many other types of dementia that I just, I personally didn't know about. So like vascular dementia, so that affects the blood vessels. Frontotemporal dementia, which is very powerful in affecting the personality. 
Um, but if I talk about a couple of moments, so one pivotal moment was that I had the privilege of working quite closely with individuals living with dementia. So I got to hear their stories um, and experiences, and it really put things into perspective. So mm. I actually remember one gentleman, um, he had a rare dementia. It's, it's called primary progressive aphasia. Um, and it affected his ability to speak um, and just get his words out, essentially. Um, and he was asked what his motivation was to engage with our students and the research that we carried out. And he just said something along the lines of, um, I haven't got much le long left now. And you young ones are the ones to help us. And it was very humbling mm. and also quite overwhelming because there's this man sitting in front of me um, and he's... He's asking us to research. He's asking, I know I won't make it, but maybe the future generations will make it. So stuff like that constantly motivated me. And then if we look at, so it, during my thesis, I looked at the role of a specific gene um, and how different versions of that gene, so the gene is APOE, um, affected the age of onset and the disease duration in Alzheimer's disease. And I specifically looked at genetic Alzheimer's disease. Um, and I used data from participants dating back to the 1930s as part of the UCL database. And a very cool moment, you can say, is when I was in the lab um, and we were analyzing and extracting DNA from samples. And I actually got to see the white threads of DNA um, with the naked eye. And I, I saw those threads in front of me in a little test tube. And it was so humbling to think that these DNA strands, strands literally control and account for everything in the body. Right, and it's really inspiring to hear. And did you come across any surprising or lesser known factors that contribute to the development or contribution to this condition? Um, yes, yeah, so there's so many different types of dementias uh, with different pathologies and ages at onset, but a lot of these dementias are actually affected by lifestyle factors. Um, so stuff like sleep, education, hearing, mm. air pollution, all of these are risk factors um, which actually differ between different countries um, and different ethnicities as well. So I was fortunate enough to actually do a couple of projects looking at the differences in these modifiable so modifiable risk factors because they can obviously be altered so you can change sleep and education um, and I found out that around I think it was 30% of dementia cases could actually be avoided if these factors were modified which was very interesting because I had no idea of this hmm. um, and just the idea that different types of dementia are more common in different like groups of people so for example Vascular dementia, uh, which is a type of dementia affecting the blood vessels and the white matter of the brain, is actually more common in Asian communities um, and due to hypertension and increased blood pressure. Mm -hmm. um, and a stroke can actually increase this risk up to three times. Oh. And you often um, hear that sometimes people have strokes, right, before they get diagnosed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. So there yeah. are many different kinds of uh, dementia you, you mentioned. Yes. Okay. There's also treatable dementias as well. Okay. All right. Uh, brilliant. Um, all the best uh, for you know your your future researches and 
and that I mean it's such an important field to go into and um, as you mentioned uh, there's so much that we still learn every day um, about these uh, diseases so uh, thank you very much uh, Saira for joining us uh, on Voice of Islam today thank you for your time thank you thank you Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. Uh, you can also tweet at uh, Voice of Islam UK uh, if you wish to share with us your views and opinions on the topics that we discuss. Now, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has instruct- instructed. He said that if a young man honors an elderly on account of his age. Allah appoints someone to honor him in his old age. Hmm. So there's no diseases that have been specified because yeah. in old age or whatever age really hmm. you can you can you can be suffering with one, two, three many different kind of diseases. So th- there's yeah. no disease that has been uh, specified here but the prophet what he has said that if somebody is suffering in uh, in their old age looking after that person taking care of that po- person is so rewarding that as if Allah will then appoint somebody in your honor to mm. to protect you or you know to to be with you in 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 that age when when it is ultimately your turn yeah definitely and you know age is the strongest known risk factor for dementia um what's it called diagnosis so about one third of all people aged 85 or older have some form of it so although it wasn't directly <laughs> mentioned it's probably going to be the, one of the most likely for you to help someone who is elderly of course they'll of be course. suffering from it and this form. is the practice of the holy prophet of islam prophet mm-hmm. muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him as well that he used to look after the elderly he used to look after the sick and in fact there is also a saying uh, of prophet muhammad that there are certain rights that mm. people have over you Yeah. So, for example, if somebody greets you, it is you know your obligation to greet the person back, you mm-hmm. know, in a nice way. And one of those rights are also mentioned that if somebody is sick, it is your obligation to tend to that person, or at least go and find out how that mm-hmm. person is doing. And I think that's how important it is that it's not mentioning that if it's your relative that you yeah. should go and find out how how your relative is doing, or your father, or grandfather or father mother whatever I think that's what's key yeah. the key is anybody who is ill right and if you come to know about it it's your responsibility to go and check up on them mm-hmm. and that's so important because in a society that we live in we might have people who have got no relatives to look yeah. after them we may have people who are lonely and they need mm-hmm. to be checked on you know yeah. there's somebody to just talk to Uh, and this i think is something that islam really stresses upon and i think is really important yeah. in in our society as well um understanding dementia uh, the national institute on aging uh, defines dementia as the loss of cognitive functioning thinking remembering and reasoning to such an extent that it interferes with the person's daily life and activities now we talked about uh, there are many different types of it as well and um we're going to look at that in more detail uh, but before that we'll take our next guest we have uh, Sarah uh, Priestley with us who is a registered mental health nurse and has been qualified since 1992 she's also been an admiral nurse working in dementia uk 
since 2004. Sarah, good afternoon. Peace be upon you. And welcome to the Drive Time Show oh, here. You can hear me. Voice, voice of Islam. Hello? Hello? Yep, yeah, yeah we can hear you. Yes, yes. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, fine. Thank you. You? Oh, uh, yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us here on Voice of Islam today. Um, Dementia UK is known for its Admiral Nurse Service. What does your day-to-day, uh, you know, work look like and uh, as an uh, Admiral Nurse? Yeah, so um, Admiral Nurses provide life-changing support, really, and guidance for families affected by all, for all forms of dementia. So we don't just work with the person living with dementia, we support the whole family. Um, so we have, a, um, Dementia UK has a free helpline, uh, which um, is staffed by Admiral Nurses. But we also can um, offer uh, virtual clinics, so you can book an appointment to have a, um, a virtual clinic appointment. And you can also book a call, a telephone call, so you can do that um, that's a time suitable for you. But we also have Admiral Nurse services located in the, all over the country. Um, so they might be based in the community, such as a GP practice, or in, in a care home and, or a hospice. And sometimes we have um, some services based in acute hospital care. So we, what we try and do is enable people who are affected by dementia to have the best life possible for as long as possible, really. And so um, Admiral Nurses are there when we, people need us the most. So, you know, we're there to provide health advice, emotional and psychological support, and also we can help people plan for the future because um, it's a long journey sometimes with, um, for, with, for people with dementia and their families and things can change on that journey. So it's, it's about kind of trying to have a think about what that might look like and provide that kind of support. Right. And how would you say that um, the treatment has evolved? Because obviously technology, how, how, how has that changed for dementia patients? Yeah, treatment, did you say? Yeah. How okay, has well, are... the care of dementia uh, evolved over the years? Okay. Well, obviously, um, Dementia UK as a charity has really, really grown over the years, certainly in the last few years. And there's over 400, uh, nearly 450 Admiral nurses in the country, and it's growing all the time, which is amazing because wow. this is a long journey and it affects the whole family and it affects, can affect all aspects of a person. Um, so... Um, you know, we try and support people holistically, so looking at the physical, psychological, emotional, social, spiritual aspects of a person. And that can be through um, practical advice and support. Um, it can be through, um, sometimes we might advise on the physical health side of things and treatment, but it's about kind of offering, signposting people to services local to them that can help and support them. Um, but there's like lots of things like assistive technology that can help, you know, digital technology that can help support people remain as independent as possible. But the 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 kind of main aim is is that if everyone's journey is different and if people contact the helpline and, and, and look to an admin nurse for support, we can have a look at everything that's uh, individual to that person and access support, help people access support that's individual to them. Hmm. Uh, Sarah, managing the daily realities of dementia often requires adapting to new circumstances. Could you share some practical strategies for helping caregivers and individuals, I think, with, with dementia adjust to these changes while, uh, you know, uh, also 
doing it in the best sensitive way? Yeah, of course. I mean, basically, it can be really hard to adjust to the changes that take place, you know, once you've been given a diagnosis of dementia, not just for the person living with dementia, but also the people around them. Um, you know, unfortunately, there can be still a stigma attached to dementia, and that might lead uh, people and families to kind of isolate themselves because of the fear of being judged or not wanting to share that someone has dementia with the wider community. So that can lead to social isolation, really, and people feeling quite lonely and alone. Um, so what we need to understand is that, you know, try and explain and help people realise that as a carer, it's really important that you take time for yourself to look after yourself, you know, your physical and emotional well-being, because you need to be there to be able to support your loved one, you know, and, and you need to be as well as you can be and as well supported as you can be to do that. And as admiral nurses, we can offer that support for the whole family, really. Um, so, you know, it's important that people keep as much social contact with people that they trust and love, um, you know, families and the wider community. But also, there are other things that are available in the community, and of course it differs from area to area. But there are things like friending services that you can access so people can come and take people out um, or sit with them at home if they, if they don't want to go out. Um, there can be memory cafes in the community, um, there are day centres, clubs around. There's a lot there for people um, but of course it differs from area to area but it's really important to, to, to keep as much social contact and as much um, you know individual support as possible in order for the person who's the main carer to get that respite and um, and have a break for themselves in order for them to be able to feel recharged and support the person they would adventure. Thank you very much, uh, Sarah, for joining us here on Voice of Islam today. Um, and, uh, you know, all the best for the great work that you are doing it uh, day in, day out. Uh, thank you much for, very much for joining here us uh, on this program. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. Uh, you can also tweet at uh, Voice of Islam UK. Right. So this is a subject that you know is really important to highlight, and one of the things that we wanted to do um, is to help with early detection because you know it can always help. And with with uh, all diseases, yeah, isn't of it? Course, like yeah. the quicker you find out, the quicker you do a test and. Yeah. If you have any um, doubts or a, any indication, the best thing is to 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 find out as early as possible. As early as it? possible, because there's more chance for treatment, and ultimately you shouldn't just like let things slide or just like let them build up. You should actually try and deal with them straight away. Mm. Um, you know, it can be daunting, and people can put off going to the doctor and things like that. But um, you know, it's it's one of the really important crucial things so um with early detection in dementia um diagnosis diagnosis is um it provides the best opportunity for those individuals and their families to access treatments support services and resources to help manage the disease progression and improve their overall well-being and quality of life for those affected there's no cure um for most types as i've guess said you know there are some that are um uh, curable but um because it's caused by different diseases and therefore research is aimed at finding cures 
for dementia causing diseases such as Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the key things that, like, you know, there are so many things that can kind of help to to make this uh, this happen that it's there's loads of other factors to consider as well and and you know alzheimer's disease um is one of those things and um you know alzheimer's disease may benefit from medication that can actually slow down the progression of symptoms but these treatments are mostly only effective when they start in the early stages of the disease again i think that's the crucial thing isn't it very similar to cancers as Mm. well where if you find out early at an early stage you may be able to contain it you may be able to you know uh try to reduce the how it will impact you but once it's too late and and sometimes sadly detected very late then uh, Many times it's beyond uh, anything that uh, doctors and medicine nowadays, uh, until now, yeah. uh, can can do. Definitely, an early diagnosis can help, like prepare. Like you know, there may be certain lifestyle adjustments mm. that mm-hmm. need to be made. Yeah. So it just helps preparation as well in that. That yeah, maybe it might not be okay. It's 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 to a point where it's not curable, but or. or impactable but you can make those adjustments early to rather than you know be sprung upon this situation and and not be able to deal with it yeah it also allows patients to take advantage of available support services and resources which can enhance their quality of life maintain their independence for longer well that's Um, the key isn't it as you mentioned just maintaining that independence i think no one wants to be reliant on anybody else i think that that's one of the um key things here is that that reliance that you would feel like you know you can't do things you know we take it for granted sometimes that you know i can get up and get out of bed um i can go to work i can you know travel i can walk i can talk and you know without any assistance and i think that that's where it's really key that um the early detection is important because ultimately it might just help uphold that independence earlier than uh, and and uh, uphold that independence to a greater degree if it's if um, detected earlier. Mm. And I'm just going to come back to uh, you know uh, the the religious aspect of this as mm. well. We talked about you know that uh, there is uh, an obligation to look after those who are sick and elderly in in the Islamic religion. However, when we talk about diseases, and we've talked about this before as well, Fahim, that Islam says that there is is cure to every illness. Yeah. Right? And this is a big statement where Islam has made this very clear that there is cure for every illness. However, we may not have found it, right? Yeah. I mean, with time, with obviously with the resources and and sciences as human being as human beings and medical science progresses mm. we find uh, better and better medicines for different things that we didn't have like 100 200 years back maybe yeah like w- women exactly. giving birth would die very like uh, just 100 years ago like very easily now that there there is that advancement in technology yeah. that's saving them for example yeah. right and that's across the board so exactly and those those cures that are now being found for mm. different diseases are are found you know uh from from the very resources that we have around us yeah. however we are yet to know how to find cure 
what is the cure to certain diseases. But Islam says very clearly that there is cure for every disease. Yeah. Um, so we we have to keep looking and keep trying to find that cure. Mm. Um, and I think that's why, you know, so many professionals and in the institutions are trying to do day out and day out. People are dedicating their lives, you know, to, to find cure for cancer, yeah. for dementia, for these things. So it's it's great. And that's, that's a great service to humanity. Um, Islam recognizes that as our elders age, they may not have the same faculties they once had. And we are instructed to always be mindful of this. The Holy Quran emphasizes the importance of being kind and respect, respectful to one's parents, especially when they become elderly and require care. Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran, chapter 17, verse 24, Worship none but him and show kindness to parents. If one of them or both of them attain old age with thee, never say unto them any word expressive of disgust, or nor reproach them, but address them with excellent speech. Um, now, let's go to our next uh, guest we have uh, with us. We have Jess uh, Tobin uh, with us, uh, who is uh, from the Alzheimer's Research UK's Science Communication uh, and is the manager. Uh, her background involves public health information provision, raising awareness of dementia in underserved, uh, underserved communities, sorry, and enabling participation in dementia research. Uh, Tobin, uh, good afternoon. Peace be upon you. Welcome to the Drive Time Show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for joining. Um, dementia research is a constantly evolving field. Uh, what are some of the most exciting recent developments in the field of dementia research, um, according to you? And how do they offer you know, some kind of hope to individuals and families yeah, of course. Well, as you've just alluded to, um, there are going to be treatments out there available for every condition. And we're starting to see that come through with dementia. We haven't had any hope previously. There hasn't been any treatments that could uh, slow down or stop the progression of the disease. But within just the last year, we've seen some really exciting results come out of phase three clinical trials so those are the kind of last trials that you would expect to see for a new drug before they kind of get reviewed by regulatory authorities and within the UK the NHS so um, there are two drugs called lecanemab and denanemab and um, which tackle the actual underlying disease process in Alzheimer's disease so they have had positive results in those phase three clinical trials and so we're hoping within the next year, we might have some positive news about them being available. So that's on the kind of treatment front. And then obviously, um, if these treatments are to come to market, we really need to improve the diagnosis that we have available in the UK. At the moment, it's quite difficult to get a diagnosis. And so it's very costly and it takes a lot of time. So a big focus of the research is looking at how we can speed up that process and how we can find new um, diagnosis tools. So um, the development of things like blood tests is another really exciting area. Right. And I wanted to ask just for the benefit of our listeners as well, because I, I've often found that um, dementia and Alzheimer's are used interchangeably. Mm. Could you kind of just like, describe the differences and, and just make that very clear the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's so dementia is an umbrella term so that's just used to describe symptoms like memory loss confusion and even the more kind of uh, unheard of symptoms so uh, difficulties of sleep difficulties of balance hallucinations 
Um, so Alzheimer's disease is an actual physical disease that happens in the brain. So it's one of many that causes those dementia symptoms um, and it's caused by the buildup of proteins. Perfect. Thank you so much. And um, what are some of the key challenges and areas of focus you see for future research uh, in dementia neuroscience? And how can the public and policymakers contribute to advancing our understanding of the treatment of this condition? So we recently at Alzheimer's Research UK conducted some polling around kind of public perceptions around dementia. And despite it being the biggest killer in the UK, there's an awful lot of misunderstanding. So less than half of the UK population were even able to identify memory loss as a symptom of dementia. And as, as, we, as I've said previously, we really need to improve diagnosis and treatment. And in order for that to happen, we really need to tackle that misunderstanding and improve awareness, which is why we've launched this new film today. Um, it's a two-minute film featuring Olivia Coleman, and it kind of tells the story of, of dementia and how it disrupts a lot of people's ending. Um, happy, happy ever after. So um, a lot of awareness raising. We also really need to look at the kind of structure um, of the NHS and and the government if we're going to be starting to get these new treatments. So there's lots of work that can be done in collaboration with the public and the government to kind of make sure these new treatment pathways are set up correctly. Okay, brilliant. Um, You mentioned that there's a lot of improvement needed in the NHS. We know that the NHS is already stretched and that it's already struggling. And yes. obviously the right funding is not going in either, apparently as well, uh, not being prioritised. Um, wh- when, wh- what would be needed uh, for, 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 for improving this aspect? You know, you mentioned yeah. uh, detection, early detection. For example, if somebody has any suspicion that one of their relatives might be forgetting a bit too much or they might have some you know, uh, problems with the memory or any other sign that could be linked to dementia. What is their first step that they should take, for example, and how? what kind of service is there to help them? How, 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 how will they be treated, for example, if they were to go to, say, the local GP first and say, we have these concerns? So we appreciate it. it's a really difficult and scary thing to kind of approach a medical professional about these early symptoms. But it's a massive, massive issue. And it's really important that we, people start coming forward with these symptoms. We know that there's nearly one million people diagnosed with dementia living in the UK. So it's actually a really common condition. But like I said, it's caused by physical diseases. It's not a normal part of aging. And so we would really heavily encourage people that are experiencing any symptoms at all that are different to your normal and have been going on for um, uh, like a significant amount of time, so more than a couple of months, um, to approach approach your GP. They should be kind of checking for other conditions which can cause very similar symptoms. So something like a thyroid issue or a vitamin deficiency, um, they can cause similar symptoms, but they are treatable. So it's really worth going to the doctor just just in that first instance and checking it's not anything that's treatable and then hopefully your doctor should kind of refer you to relevant pathways okay. right and um so what's the best way listeners can stay informed about the latest advancements in dementia research and ensure that they're accessing the most up-to-date information for themselves or a loved one or someone who they suspect could have it 
Yeah, of course. So on our website, there's a whole host of information about um, dementia, some symptoms, where to get a diagnosis. We also have a fantastic service called the Dementia Research Info Line, where people can call in about any questions that they have, um, either pertaining to themselves or a loved one. So um, I'll give their number, and they're open um, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. So the number is 0300 5111. I'll just repeat that number 0300 111 5111. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jess, uh, for joining us today. Uh, it was great talking to you. And thank it's you for, for the information that you shared with our listeners as well. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right. Goodbye. 0208687 is the number to call. Uh, you can also tweet at uh, Voice of Islam UK. We'd love to hear from you. Um, how 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 do you cope and and care, especially um, uh, you know for for relatives and, and I know personally as well. You know there are so many um, elderly people who are suffering uh, from this and it's very very difficult because not only the emotional side but the practical side as well mm. like you know people not remembering that they ate so they yeah. they constantly start losing weight and become weaker and weaker hence yeah. then they will also have a less stronger immune system and catch other diseases and illnesses and weakness it's it is really sad mm. that you know the, the way that these diseases develop it really kind of just, you know, eats De- you from the inside. Yeah, kind of. no, I definitely, uh, and I think for me, uh, how I, I see this is um, that Islam guides you in the sense of dignity, like maintaining someone's dignity, I think, there because, you know, it's, and this is the sad thing we hear about sometimes in care homes and things like that, or, or just people who are neglected that, you know, oh, just just because they didn't remember that they should eat that doesn't mean you don't you know encourage them to eat or um make sure that you know they stay clean and like i think that that's where the islamic principle of like maintaining others dignity is is yeah. really important here it's yeah. like you know and then also like don't make them feel like a burden i think that no one wants to be reliant on anybody yeah. else no one wants to sit there and have everyone do that for them like you know, um, so I think that maintaining that dignity and being like, okay, this is still a person, this is still someone who you know ha- has an understanding and what and you know has a right to be, um, you know, where they are. I think that that's really important because it's very easy for people to be neglected and to suffer even more so because of that, and you're probably just uh, exasperating the 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 disease in, in, even more. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, due to the fact that dementia causes a gradual decline in cognitive function over an extended period of time, um, it may feel like a prolonged farewell as the patient slowly loses their physical abilities and memories, etc. Now, as dementia advances, individuals often lose their sense of self as well. Mm. They may forget their own identity, who they are, you know, where they were, uh, what they are going to do, family members and, you know, important life events Mm. will just vanish from their memories. And this loss of self is 
deeply distressing for both the person with dementia and the loved ones. I mean, that's yeah. something that you know you mentioned as well. That again, dignity there is yeah. is is very very essential to make them feel loved. Um, and it's extremely hard uh, mm. and difficult for, for example, the children, for example, the relatives, um, the husband, the wife, you know, yeah. even in cases where they won't even remember the yeah. person next to them. So it is essential to treat the elderly and sick with respect and dignity. Their wisdom and life experiences are valued in Islam as it teaches to respect those older than us and they should be honored accordingly. Uh, again, you know, um, sometimes you would see and this is very fairly normal in in elderly people mm. um that uh, you know these islamic teaching is that you should respect uh, the the elderly and you should show compassion to the young that sometimes uh, elderly people will repeat things you know yeah. something that they have said they will repeat it and Sometimes, you know, for, for people it can be, you know, okay, this is a repetition or, you know, why is this yeah. man oh, asking here, here, here me? Here they go again. Here they go again yeah. speak about the same thing. But yeah. it's so important to show dignity because everyone is going to go, go come to that stage. Yeah. Like if you live a long enough life, mm. you will also be in one day repeating yourself perhaps because mm. of your old age. So I, rem- I remember one thing I really like is that, you know, when... Uh, when you keep that dignity and show that respect and yep. also not make sure that the elderly people do not feel as if you are annoyed or you are yeah. you are trying to point out to them that you know you have repeated yourself because it doesn't matter if if mm. they feel comfortable with them if they feel respected that's that's what they need at that yeah. time so you don't need to embarrass them you don't need to let them know that you they have repeated themselves just listen to it man and just be and give them the love that you can give them because exactly. we're all going to get there one day. No, definitely. And I think that, you know, you've also kind of got to remember the fact that, okay, let's say someone repeats something very often because they don't remember they said it before. right? And, you know, the first five times you were patient and then the sixth time you got angry, right? Yeah. Let's say that happens. For them, it's the first time. Yeah, exactly, right? Right? So think of it for a second. Like, you know, for them, that's the first time they're telling you something. If you get angry, they'll be like, what did I say? Or be like, that's a bit of an unnecessary reaction. And that'll probably throw them off even more. So I think that, yeah, patience, you know, with that dignity. And so what if someone repeats it? I know that, you know, sometimes, you know, you could be distracted or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, they clearly it's important enough for them to remember it firstly and then secondly it's it's um you know it's it's um a type of charity as well isn't it sadka in the sense that um you know every time that that you spend looking after them listening to them taking care of them it's it's a reward that you're getting from allah the almighty because you're sacrificing your own time to do what allah the almighty has told you to do or you know, put your responsibility to to look after them, especially when, you know, this is uh, ultimately a responsibility of the of of the children yeah. who who have elderly parents to to look after them and take care of them, and that's, uh, you know, we all have elderly parents, and we know mm. how how tough and difficult that is. We remember, you know, uh, our parents in their uh, prime, yeah, prime, mm. yeah, and 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 it's just way of life, and. The, the, it you know the prayer comes to my mind, uh, which we are often taught a very small prayer, but that even Muslim children 
they know by heart that this prayer that we are taught to pray a lot is that oh Allah nurture me uh, uh, or look after my parents or nurture them as they looked after me or nurtured me when I was young and it's such a beautiful prayer because that's exactly how life you know goes Definitely. And I think that you only truly understand the meaning of that prayer once you become a parent yourself. Absolutely. I yeah. think when you realize that, you know, the things that like your parents must have done when they were like when you were young, right? Like to you know, the fact that you couldn't go to the toilet by yourself, that they had to clean you, that you know, they made sure that you were fed, clothed, you know, waking up in the middle of the night. I think that you know you think, oh yeah, like yeah, my parents do a lot for me when, like, as you grow up, you know, you're a teenager and stuff. But once you become a parent yourself and you feel like that responsibility for another human, yeah. <laughs> I think that's when you truly realize the meaning yeah. of that prayer. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely. like, okay, yeah, so they did a lot for me, <laughs> and and you, know, you can't really pay back. Really, yeah, yeah, there's no way that you <laughs> yeah. can pay back. And All right, uh, let's go to our next guest. Uh, we have uh, Bailey Kitchen with us. Uh, Bailey is a caregiver for her father, who has early onset dementia, as well as for her mother, who has a traumatic brain injury. And this has brought her family closer together, and she shares her journey in caring for her father. Um, uh, online so Bailey um, good afternoon peace be upon you and welcome to the drive time show here on Voice of Islam hi it's nice to meet you it's, it's great to be here yeah thank you great to have you finally we were trying to connect to you so I'm glad we finally yeah, got so through sorry. to you uh, your social media presence um, has touched the hearts of many by offering glimpses into your daily life as a caregiver what inspired you to start sharing these these you know moments uh, online on social media? Well, when I first became a caregiver for my mom in 2020, uh, and then my dad in 2022, I felt a, an overwhelming self, sense of helplessness, and you know I kind of felt alone in that. And you know how could anybody understand what I was going through and you know, would anybody care and stuff like that? And I found it to be, you know, very scary. And how am I supposed to navigate my life like this? And when I went online and shared my experiences, I did it in hopes that maybe I would reach an audience that has been through something similar that I have, or at least could offer some advice or just to cry on. Really, it was kind of just I wanted to reach out in hopes that I would find somebody go through what I was. But um, right, I think we were losing you a little bit. I, I missed the last part of, of. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, just missed the last part. What were you saying? Sorry. No, you're fine. I apologize. I was just saying basically, hang on, let me move. Um, that I shared my story online mm-hmm. because I was feeling kind of lonely and helpless and I wasn't you know I wanted some advice or at least knowing that I wasn't alone in this journey of caregiving for somebody that I loved and I shared my experience I shared my experiences online in hopes that I would find somebody going through something similar and I would have somebody to talk to and not feel so helpless yeah yeah no absolutely um and um could you share with us some of 
you know amazing uh, stories or memorable moments that you experienced while caring for your father um, uh, with dementia how has this journey impacted your perspective of 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 life it really this journey of caregiving especially for my parents um has really taught me that life is short and it's really important to you know love the people close to you and tell them you love them and spend time with them and you know appreciate the little things um it's also shown me that my parents at you know I'm a parent myself but looking after my parents it really taught me like how they raised me and how they you know showed me how to be an independent person and somebody that could care for them. so really I I truly feel like the experiences I've had with my parents and like them raising me taught me to be the person I am now and it's really just brought us all you know much closer together my dad's dementia came from drinking and um when he would drink we didn't have a lot of quality time together and our relationship wasn't the best it could be and now i guess the silver lining in his diagnosis is that we get to spend every day together and he's not drinking anymore and he gets to be the person that i always knew he could be right and so you mentioned that um you know you shared your story online to 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 feel like uh, less alone and and to like f- connect with others that um are in a similar situation could you offer some insights and strategies that or techniques that have helped you maintain your own well-being and resilience throughout this journey because you know it is difficult like could you share some with uh, with someone who may be going through something similar absolutely um some advice that i would have for anybody going through something similar uh would be to make sure you take care of yourself. You know, you cannot take care of other people if you're not taken care of and the only person that's going to truly look out for you is you. Also, um setting boundaries is very important to me. Um being a caregiver, especially for my parents that both live with me, I don't have a lot of privacy and I don't have a lot of time to myself and, you know, you don't think about how it is until you don't have access anymore. and you know i have to know that on top of being a caregiver and on top of being a parent i'm a person first i'm a human being and we all need to cut ourselves some slack and you know mistakes we made we are human and it's okay and just set those boundaries you know have some time for yourself hmm. really you got to take care of you brilliant bailey thank you so much for joining us uh, it was great having you on our show today um we're coming towards the end of our program today uh we've talked about uh, dementia um end of this hour i should say because after the news we'll go on to our second topic um uh, stay attuned um as we bring you the second topic uh, as we are concluding this topic uh, dementia often um you know uh referred to as a long goodbye is a deeply challenging and emotionally complex journey for both individuals living with the condition and also their loved ones so we have explored uh different uh things uh, related to this in this show and uh, you know we always have to remember that care and uh taking care of uh, the elderly is the key in these situations joining us now uh is the news join us after the news you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh welcome back 
to the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam a radio station. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Um, we were discussing uh, dementia in our previous hours. Now, if you're just tuning in, uh, we are going to uh, discuss uh, t- or talk about BRICS, uh, the demand for membership, or is this a symptom of global disorder? Um, uh, you're listening to myself, Safid and Fahim. Uh, still, Fahim, this is something that is, um, you know, something that we do see in the news uh, more consistently. Mm. Now as well, because of the political uh, rifts and political differences that are happening in the world. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things have happened in the last decade uh, in terms of conflicts, in terms of wars, in terms of political issues. Um, You know, there is huge divides between, you know, many countries and uh, superpowers competing with each other for economic upper hand. Uh, We're seeing that as well. So BRICS, what does does it stand for? Let's let's build this up, yeah? (laughs) Let's build this up. Okay, so um, originally, um, so BRICS is, is an acronym that encapsulates the collective power of five influential nations. Those are Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Um, the The reason why it's been in the news so much is because um, there's been an increase in membership. Originally, just um, four uh, countries: um, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. So it used to be BRIC. Now it's BRICS. Um, uh, there's been more member states come to it, and what what's the conversation is that. Um, the economic power of these new members, so Saudi Arabia and UAE, or a couple of others to mention, um, that has could create a serious shift in, um, well, the geopolitics of yeah, the world. world economics. So um, I think that that's why we wanted to discuss this today because uh, it's something that's been mentioned across the news uh, over and over again, and we wanted to kind of. Like talk about it is mm. is it like what does this mean and the thing is is that um the caliph of the of the worldwide um MDA Muslim Association Hazrat Mizam Masoor Ahmed has often talked about um peace and how to restore peace and I think that um this change and and this uh, increase in membership what we're trying to understand is is this a sign of some sort of global disorder or some sort of um, rebellion towards the existing order? Mm. order? Um, and yeah, that's what we're trying to figure out. Um, and yeah, so BRICS does stand for um, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. And there's been more membership. But I think we're going to break down the history and the creation of it in a bit more detail. Yeah. And we'll discuss it with some of our guests as well. No, absolutely. Looking forward to that. Um, so, As you mentioned, in a global theatre where economic powers, uh, political powers um, and innovation essentially are the currencies of influence, BRICS represents a formidable block that cannot be ignored um and uh in in a, in a peace conference in 2018 uh his holiness hazamiza masur ahmed uh, uh may Allah be his helper 
stated that poor nations must not be looked down upon. Rather, we should consider them as part of our family, our brothers and sisters. By helping the developing nations stand on their own feet and by giving their people opportunities and hope, we will actually be helping ourselves and safeguarding the future of the world. So, this is such an important uh, statement by His Holiness. Mm. And I think that's what is the teaching of Islam as well, yeah. that you help uh, individuals and if you're a country, then you also help those countries who are less fortunate than you or poorer than you, help them achieve a higher target or a higher you know, status financially, education in every aspect, right? Yeah. But for a long time in history, we have seen how certain countries, and I would say quite clearly as well, the Western powers have exploited you know, poorer countries. Yeah. They have exploited particularly countries in Africa where for resources, yeah, for their yeah. resources. And even when the empire was empires were there uh, yeah. in colonial colonial colonialism. Yeah. After that as well, when physically they gave up those lands, but still the influence of Western countries were significant in yeah. running of those countries and in in the utilizing of resources so yeah. that's something that we have seen recently as well how how people are waking up and 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 people in those countries are demonstrating people in those countries are demanding that foreign influence should be completely reduced, yeah, reduced uh, and ex- removed removed oh, yeah that they should be able to, you know, have a say or of where their minerals and resources should be mm. going. And uh, they should be, you know, have the upper hand in terms of dealing, in terms of uh, signing contracts, in terms of uh, trade and things like that. So it is really a very delicate, uh, you know, time uh, mm. politically as well as econo- economically because for a very, very long time, we know that the U.S. has been the economic you know superpower, uh, superpower. Yeah. but that is changing because china is now effectively the the superpower yeah. the economic uh, you know superpower well, in, india is such a great india is, is, well. is getting yeah. there as well so there is a lot of uh, you know changes that Definitely. are coming in place yeah and i think that that's why um, you know what uh, his holiness uh, mentioned in the peace conference is is so important that um you know it comes down to the basic principle of uh, Islam, you know, service to humanity, to look after your fellow man. Um, that should be on every level. It's not just on the individuals like me and you. Mm. It's also on a country-by-country country basis. And if you're going to strip the resources of, like, a country um, or, you know, consolidate power and hoard power, essentially, then you're going to create... Um, you know discontent and that's where like i feel with with the brick situation it's um an alliance which which like has so many different like things that you know the economic power the cultural power like you know it's you've got beijing uh, you know the vast expanses of like russian wilderness you know the the India with the, the colorful festivals etc it's like it's bringing them all together into this really fascinating alliance mm. and with the additional um 
five uh, member states. I think that it's uh, so. Sorry, the additional six um, nation states to join the BRICS group, uh, which are um, Iran, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, United Arab Emirates, um, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Argentina. It like geographically alone, it represents so many. Um, different regions mm. uh, of the world and for that to and I think that one of the key things we want to try to understand is 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 this because people or countries or leaders of certain nations aren't happy with the dynamics of today's political atmosphere yeah yeah that's a great point uh, let's uh, speak to our first guest we have Chris Devonshire uh, with us uh, who is chairman and founding partner for China Belt and Road Initiative Desk. Uh, good afternoon, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm actually the chairman of Decent Shearer and Associates, but I do have a, a lot of experience uh, with the Belt and Road Initiative. I lived in China for uh, over 25 years, and I, I do study what's going on in the Eurasian and Middle Eastern region. It's a pleasure to talk to you this evening. Yeah, thank you so much. It's it's our pleasure. I mean, you have such a, a vast experience. You mentioned twenty five years. Uh, so, instead of me asking you a specific question, tell us what is it that you study and what are you, you know, what are your thoughts on what's happening in the world right now? <laughs> big well, question, that, but yeah, huge, in the context of breaks. <laughs> where to where to start? Um, well, um, uh, uh, clearly there there are changes, uh, and, and I think the program has been talking, and the previous uh, guest has been talking about the the BRICS. Um, I, th- I think what's interesting in terms of the Islamic world is that uh, uh, it's interesting to note that of the of the six new BRICS uh, countries that will be joining from the beginning of uh, January next year, uh, five of them are uh, MENA. Uh, Middle East and North African uh, related. Um, uh, Ethiopia uh, isn't part of Amina grouping, but uh, it is regionally influential. Um, so I, I think that what is uh, what is happening with the BRICS is especially uh, has uh, has very significant um, implications for the Islamic world, uh, and uh, I think that this is uh, both timely, necessary. Uh, and as uh, I think has already been discussed, a uh, an antidote perhaps to the what is increasingly being perceived as a uh, as a U.S.-led uh, uh, global dominated uh, uh, world, and I think that now we're seeing significant pushback against that. China and Russia have been uh, critical uh, about the uh, the West dominating. Uh, and I think, uh, personally, I think justifiably so. Um, so if we're going to loosen that up a bit and introduce some more multipolar world, then uh, the Islamic uh, uh, voice needs to be heard, as does the Central Asian, African voices, certainly, uh, as well as uh, Latin America. Uh, people tend to generally call this the Global South. It's, it's a bit of a bit of a wishy-washy term, really. It's, mm. it's much more complex than that. But um, in reality, I think in, uh, as regards to the UK, 
Uh, and um, where, what we're really seeing is that the emergence of the Middle East and uh, uh, the power uh, of um, uh, Arabic uh, financing starting to um, move away from the West uh, and uh, join up with uh, its brothers in, uh, in Asia. I think the Middle East is looking towards uh, the East uh, uh, specifically and to some extent to, uh, to Africa, certainly the MENA regions. Hmm. And I think that this, um, this signifies uh, uh, a, a profound shift in gro- global demographics and uh, the, the, the shaping of what I think will become not a new world order, that sounds a bit um, fascist actually, but a, a, a new world uh, management system which gives, uh, gives more voice uh, to, uh, to other regions apart from uh, uh, the, the, the West. It's time for a change and I think that we see those winds of change uh, have, have arrived and global politics, uh, geopolitics is, uh, is starting to shift. And it's shifting during this decade. Where we are now in 2023 and where we're going to be in 2030 is going to be a very, very different world. Hmm. Um, so to answer your broad question, <laughs> hopefully that gives you um, some, some something to, to chew on there. Yeah, I mean, two more follow-up questions that I have for you is, one, is that also a result of uh, countries feeling that their voices were not on the table, their voices were not heard, or their interests were never really sincerely met in a U.S.-led, uh, you know, uh, system? And secondly, in terms of currency, there's a lot of talk about, you know, uh, moving away from, from the dollar. Uh, w- what does that mean in this respect? Okay, well, there's, you've, you've got two yeah, questions, two questions there, yeah. and they're very di- different questions. So, so let, me deal with the, let me deal with the first one, and perhaps you might need to remind me about the dollar. Uh, the first one is far more complicated. Um, I, I think that uh, the basic premise uh, that uh, has been established since uh, you know, Bretton Woods, uh, the, the, the G7, the G20, uh, these, uh, these global blocks um, and especially the G7 um, uh, almost exclusively not entirely exclusively but almost exclusively it, it makes no sense to have a G7 which does not include China or India um, uh, or countries such as Indonesia Asia's largest um, uh, uh, Asia's largest country and, and an Islamic uh, nation in its own right as and of course um, a lot of the ASEAN nations also have significant uh, Muslim populations. So Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines all, all have significant uh, Muslim populations. So this um, not having this Islamic voice, uh, uh, I think, has been um, ha- has been a has been a problem. And I think that the Islamic world, to some extent, over the last um, 30, 40 years, with the issues in Afghanistan and then later on uh, with Iran and to some extent Iraq, and I'm, I'm very well aware of the, 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 the differences, uh, uh, the, the religious differences between them. Mm. Uh, but nonetheless, I think the Islamic world has been somewhat demonized uh, over the last uh, 40 years, and this, this needs to change. Uh, so now I think what we're seeing finally the, um, I think the suppression, the problem uh, of um, Islamic radi- radicalization has been, uh, 
has been largely dealt with. I think that's something which we can, to some extent, keep an eye on, but put to bed. I think that the, um, uh, the Muslim world has done very well in uh, sorting that out. Uh, but now we can look forward, I think, perhaps to a more inclusive global brotherhood, um, ir irrespective of religions or, or creeds or race. And I think that that is really what's starting to be ushered in. And that is a very positive thing. You know, it's an amazing thing to be to be part of. Uh, so, um, so in terms of what's happening and the developments, I think that this is um, the, the, these are going to have significant uh, uh, implications. Uh, also, what's happened to uh, act against or react against the G7 is that global wealth has been shifting. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think that um, 18 months ago, uh, the East became more wealthy in terms of overall GDP than the West for the first time in five, six hundred years. Mm -hmm. So this, this is a tectonic shift. Now, people in the West and the, the, a lot of the global media, which is has a you know does have a western bias so i think they need to kind of <laughs> have a think about that um uh, is um is, is is not really talking about these issues about the integration of the planet uh, and i think this creates other problems we we need to come together as a global community if we cannot we cannot deal with issues such as climate change uh, uh, uh poverty uh, other, other, many, many other issues that we should be working together uh, to to solve and resolve and push the planet and the people that live on it uh, into a into a better, uh, a be better future. It sounds a bit airy fairy, I know, but when when you start to divide the uh, planet into um, things like the G7 or mm. even the G20, uh, you know, there's exclusivity there, mm. and and I think that. Um, the Islamic world, China, Russia, India, uh, and some of the other countries I mentioned are, uh, particularly in the Middle East, uh, Latin America, Africa for sure, uh, are, are starting to look towards, uh, hey, you know, we want a bit of a say in what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what happens affects us. Yeah. So I think that uh, really the, the days of the G7, uh, and, um, you know, we've had the UN Security Council discussions going on the last couple of days. I think there's serious reform and there's, uh, there's, it's been acknowledged that there is a need for reform at the United Nations. These are big, big questions. Uh, and I think it's, it's really good that these questions are being asked right now. What is important is that uh, I think that the rest of the world, the emerging uh, economies, and I would put uh, uh, India and um, a lot of the Middle East in that, uh, as I said, Africa, Latin America, uh, other countries in Asia as part of that, really need to stand together and say, look, we need to be part of the solution. You know, we need to be part, we need to have our voices heard. It's a global, we're facing global challenges. We need to be part of that. That needs reform at the UN and it needs, um, uh, you know, frankly, the, 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 the concept of the G7 is outdated, outmoded, and uh, those sorts of institutions need to be replaced by, by something else. Uh, now, those something else's are starting to occur. The development of BRICS, for example. Um, so, um, and as I mentioned, of the um, uh, the six new countries, um, we, we could. Argentina is very important as as regards uh, an economy in South America. But when you look at the other five countries. 
they are all Middle East uh, influential, uh, including Ethiopia, because Ethiopia, um, although it doesn't really have a coastline so much with the Red Sea, is very, very uh, powerful in terms of its uh, economic clout. It's the second largest economy in Africa. Um, and it's, its regional influence, very close to MENA, is significant. So uh, when, when people talk about the BRICS and a lot of criticism coming in and saying, you know, it's disparate, it doesn't kind of make any sense, and, you know, these sorts of things, that's not true. When you look at the, uh, the new BRICS members and the original BRICS members, they are all in possession uh, of or influential uh, members of regional trade blocs. Uh, Ethiopia is a member of COMESA. Um, uh, so you, you go to the, the uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, uh, members of the Gulf Cooperation Council. You look at these sorts of uh, the, the, these uh, alignments and what the BRICS is starting to create, and you'll see that it's actually not really just um, uh, another 11 countries, the original five plus the new six, but those 11 countries have a significant economic and trade influence over 84 countries because of the free trade agreements which they are all involved with. And that is a message I don't think has really been understood. So the bringing in Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, you know, the Gulf Cooperation Council, OPEC, these sorts of uh, things, um, the uh, Ethiopia with uh, Commissar, which is pretty much... Uh, uh, East Africa related and just across the Red Sea from Saudi. Uh, it, it all makes, um, it's all making a very, very interesting block. So I, I think that the, the focus of, of BRICS has suddenly taken on very much a, uh, a Middle East and North African uh, uh, MENA flavor. Uh, and I think that that's been largely misunderstood as regards to development um, apart from the BRICS members who I'm sure know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I've got to say about that. Now, I did remember your other question. Well, that's good. <laughs> which is related to currency. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, now, there's been a lot of, there was a lot of talk before the BRICS um, uh, meeting recently mm. about the potential for um, a BRICS currency to be uh, developed to in some sort of um, a format that might compete with the euro. I, I, I don't think that's feasible. And, um, you know, that, that was kind of an invention by the Western media. Well, the BRICS could do this. You know, it's terrible. Um, the BRICS never said that they would do such a thing. Uh, but what they are doing, I think, is perhaps more interesting. The, um, the, the current BRICS, uh, 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 as well as... Uh, the new members which will join from 1st of January uh, and other countries, including small countries like Laos, ASEAN, they are developing uh, digital sovereign currencies. China and, and Russia uh, are right at the very end stages of uh, they're in real uh, time uh, uh, trials with the sovereign renminbi the sovereign ruble, the digital ruble. They're right at the end stages of, um, of trialing this in actual time. Those trials are going on now, uh, which means that uh, those digital currencies uh, should be available to whoever wants them uh, sometime towards around the end of 2024, early 2025. So we're talking about 18 months, and uh, you'll be able to have 
uh, people who want them in China will be able to have the digital ru- uh, uh, the digital renminbi. Uh, people in India, the digital uh, ruble. India's not far behind. And a lot of the other BRICS countries, uh, including the new members, are also not far behind. So let's talk about that. Instead of having a BRICS currency, uh, that hasn't been discussed. I don't think it's on the agenda, and I don't think it makes any sense. But the, the issue with these countries, and there are others, including Iran, uh, having their own sovereign digital currencies uh, controlled by the central bank. Uh, what, what, does that, what does that do? Well, what it does, first of all, uh, it's not like a cryptocurrency. It's a, it's a digital version of their own sovereign currency. Mm-hmm. But crucially, uh, you don't need the SWIFT payment network to make those transactions. You can afford it. So um, what, what that implies is that... Uh, in terms of dealing with each other in in uh, uh, bilateral currency transactions, you know, China wants to buy oil from Russia, uh, 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 Russia wants to sell oil to India. How do you deal with that uh, and bypass the SWIFT network? It, well, as in, like, it will not be a way to do that. Yeah, it will not be affected by any potential sanctions, any third parties trying to, like, you know, uh, control the the money and exchanges is that what you mean that it's more they are more uh, independent in, in 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 the way that they do their dealings yes they're they're, they're completely independent so uh, if you, if you have a sovereign digital currency and crucially another country has a sovereign digital currency you can trade in those currencies without the need to go through swift mm. um now that that means that the the volumes, whatever the volumes of those transactions are, and in 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 these cases between Russia and China, they're significant. They're billions of dollars in terms of India and Russia, billions of dollars. You know, particularly in energy, uh, then uh, there's no way of monitoring those transactions, uh, and there's no way for the United States, um, which basically controls the SWIFT network, although it's actually uh, headquartered in Europe. Uh, there's no way for them to um, to see those money transfers. Uh, now there is a downside to that in terms of um, um, uh, smuggling and uh, money laundering and all this that and the other. But bear in mind that these uh, these currencies are managed by the central banks who won't want to be involved with any nefarious activities, uh, for sure. So um, when you when you look at it from that way, the uh, the advent of the sovereign digital currencies which is going to start to happen in 18 months, and it's going to start to happen uh, with increasing frequency as other countries come online. The BRICS are sharing these technologies. Uh, um, uh, I think that's going to be uh, it's, that's a sanction buster. Now, let's just talk about what the US and the EU is doing about this, uh, because um, why can't they do the same? Mm. Well, the answer is that the, they can do exactly the same. Uh, and the, the technology is extremely is very well known. There's, there's nothing to, to stop them doing exactly the same, uh, and and they will. The problem that the United States European Union have is that they issued global globally transacted uh, currencies, the U.S. dollar and the euro, and to digitize those, and particularly the U.S. dollar. Uh, and the impact that that has on global, tra- uh, global trade 
is far more difficult to do when you've got that sort of responsibility to the world economy. It's far more difficult to digitize that currency uh, than it is for the smaller players. Uh, the Chinese renminbi yuan is not a significantly uh, internationally traded currency, although I think when they launch the digital renminbi, I think that it will jump. The ruble certainly not, and neither is the Indian rupee. Um, so consequently, the, um, all of these people have the same technology. It's just that it's far more difficult for the West, principally the United States and the uh, European Union with the US dollar and the uh, euro, to digitize their currencies. They will do it, but it will take longer than it is for uh, countries such as China, Russia, India, uh, Iran, even little Lao in ASEAN mm. is, uh, is, is well ahead of its uh, digital currency trials than the West is. So, um, you know, the, these behemoths, these dinosaurs, by their, by, the, by their sheer size, are actually being caught up with by the smaller currencies who are more flexible, more adaptable, perhaps more able to uh, absorb technologies mm. than the behemoths and dinosaurs of the US dollar and the euro. Um, so what what that will produce, uh, I, I think, going forward isn't necessarily a tectonic shift, at least not to begin with. But I do think that global trade will be divided up into um, regional uh, areas where in this region you trade in US dollars and euros. In that region you trade in renminbi yeah. and rubles and uh, uh, the rupee and in different areas again you start to trade in um, in Thai baht or Lao Kip or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the, um, the dominance of Western currencies is going to shift, and I think this whole thing will fracture, and um, uh, people will, uh, will need to be, uh, will, will have to get used to dealing with um, more than one currency, which I guess is great news for currency traders. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have a field day. Uh, so, so anyway, that's my comment to answer your right. question i know it's a bit long-winded but you know these are complicated issues you're, you're asking yeah yeah i mean we could have done a whole show on this as well a uh, whole two hours in fact uh well thank you very much uh, for that uh, as you said in the beginning of uh, of your uh, uh you know conversation that uh, it would be very interesting 10 20 next years uh to to see how things uh develop thank you very much uh, chris for joining us and uh, it was great having you on our show thank you very much for uh, your time you're very welcome i'm always happy to help thank you okay, okay. take care then bye bye Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. um I think we'll jump straight to our next guest. We have uh, Rod uh, Allens uh, with us, who is uh, Associate Professor of International Relations, um, also coordinator um, and MA in the field of Science University of uh, Witwatersand um, from South Africa. Um, good afternoon, uh, Rod. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, how are you doing today? Fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining. Um, six new countries we mentioned uh, have been accepted into BRICS. Uh, what are the geopolitical and economic implications of the BRICS countries' um, influence that is, as we've heard, growing on the world stage? Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, the you know, the summit was in Johannesburg uh, a few weeks ago, and I was really not expecting them to 
agree on enlargements uh, so soon. So it was quite a surprise that they were able to agree on these six countries coming in. Um, I think the challenge for BRICS right from, you know, the early days around 2010 when when South Africa joined um, has been that, you know, on one hand, you can count the population and the GDP of the members, and it's quite impressive. Um, On the other hand, the the question has been kind of um, dangling since 2010 is, you know, is BRICS more than the sum of its parts? Is there really anything happening collectively that wouldn't happen in the the normal course of the bilateral um, relations of these different different countries. So we haven't seen, you know, big changes in trade or investment patterns among the BRICS over the 13 years or so um, since it was it was founded. And bringing in these new members, it's going to make it quite a challenge um, because even with the original uh, with the, the five previous members, um, they they struggle to cooperate on a lot of big issues and. You know, this this brings more more countries into the mix. Right, and um, with the new additions, are there any emerging or potential conflicts of interest among the BRICS countries, or like that could impact cooperation? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's um, um, there's there's been conflicts even before the enlargement. I mean, you have um, mm. uh, China and India, which have you know, border disputes, and uh, so so it's not as if everything was, um, you know, 100% cooperation before. The ones that jumped out at me is the addition of both Iran, uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia. Um, so that will, um, you know, they're countries that have had very difficult, <laughs> obviously bilateral relationships with each other, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think another theme in terms of divisions within BRICS is the sort of democracy, non-democracy um, split. And, uh, um, you know, we have, uh, say, Argentina um, joining, but the general trend that's been pointed out is that a lot of these countries are not democracies that have come in. And so that raises issues of governance and, you know, governance at the global level. Right. And, and what what kind of problems do you foresee with that? Um, well, I, I think that you know one of the one of the big questions going forward with the enlarged BRICS is really whether BRICS is setting out to um, reform the global multilateral system. That's the system of rules that govern political and economic relations globally, um, or whether it's actually trying to form an alternative to the existing um, to the existing structures. Right. Um, and so, so I think a lot of it will really come down to, you know, how much of this is, is kind of like a, a, a political move to change some of these global regimes and how much of it um, is, um, is about economic cooperation among the BRICS. Right. And um, now that the, the three, Iran and China, are both in BRICS, two powers with deep tension with the U.S., um, does... Mm-hmm. Like, does the growing influence be considered a threat uh, towards the U.S. and its allies? Like, what, what, what's with the dynamics there? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a potential threat, but I, I think it would be going too far to say it's a threat at this point. Mm. I think um, a lot of it comes down to you know how the BRICS try to position themselves. As I said before, in, in terms of the global institutions, are they trying to reform those institutions from within? 
um, in which case, you know, there could be tensions with the U.S., but I, uh, you know, I think to call it a threat would be, you know, a bit overstated. Um, or are they really trying to um, make a more kind of frontal attack and create some kind of alternative order to um, things like the G20 and, and the United Nations? Um, finally, Rod, uh, BRICS seek to represent the global south. Uh, has this alliance shown to have any real everyday changes for the working class people of these nations? Uh, is this going to really change the future for, uh, you know, the people over there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, look, I, I um, being based in South Africa, I've thought a lot about kind of, you know, the potential impact for South Africa. Um, in South Africa, the foreign economic policy of the country has consistently tried to emphasize um, exporting manufactured goods because that that's a job creator domestically. You have factories producing goods that then can be exported to, um, you know, throughout the world. Um, the record so far has been pretty weak on that. Um, as I said, you know, there's a lot of aspiration to... Um, have economic cooperation integration between the uh, among the uh, BRICS members but um, what's happened in fact is that really the, the the kind of trade and investment flows among the countries look very similar to what it looked what they looked like in 2010 um, and um, it's, it's worth you know reminding ourselves that for a country like South Africa is actually exporting more manufactured goods to Zimbabwe, the neighboring country that's been in a massive political and economic crisis for the past two decades. Um, it's exporting more manufactured goods there than it is to China. Um, so I think the jury's out. I think the question is whether the some of these principles of economic cooperation that are being espoused at the summits can actually be translated into um, new patterns of trade and investment on the ground. Mm. Thank you very much uh, for uh, joining us, uh, Rod, and uh, for answering our questions uh, today here on Voice of Islam. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great day. 0208-687-7878 is the number to call. Um, you can also tweet at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, now, the BRICS countries are among the world's uh, largest and fastest growing economies, uh, collectively representing a significant portion of global GDP. Their desire to consolidate uh, economic influence and promote development was a driving force behind the group's formation. And then we look at the geopolitical balance as well, uh, Fahim. BRICS emerged partly as a response to what these nations perceived as a Western-dominated global order. That's something that we mm. talked about as well with our first guest. And they sought to establish a more balanced, multipolar world by collaborating and strengthening their collective diplomatic efforts. And then one thing that I want to mention mm. here is that, you know, when we looked at what His Holiness has said uh, about the Islamic teachings that Islam teaches justice, Islam teaches equality, Islam teaches fairness. It seems like, you know, many countries uh, in the East, in the South, apart from the West, have been unhappy about the, you know, the, the fairness or the aspect of justice mm. has not been there, according to them. So certainly that is a major factor in why, you know, 
these countries have come together to create their own system yeah. so they can have their voices heard so they can have their say in the political economic um you know uh, complex issues that the world face so this is you know a result of something that was lacking mm. and that that's something that we see that you know justice equality fairness uh, was was lacking for a long time hence we see these different systems come in place to try to void that gap you know and that's what his holiness also said that you know this is um we have to look after each other as as yeah. you know if you, if you just take the countries as human beings like if a person here living there in north west south you have to think about uh, you know how to develop the whole world not just one part of the world so this has often been the case that one part of the world and and the west particularly have been enjoying the wealth more than in mm. other countries and some of that has been directly because of uh, the less developed uh, countries and you know their uh, resources have been used maybe they have not been uh, you know compensated in, uh, in a fair way so these things have uh, been issues that has you know kind of led up to to these uh, these uh, times that we are were witnessing now um so uh let's talk a little bit more uh about that um with our next guest we have uh, uh with us uh professor nania uh bohler muller who is um, a developmental capable uh and ethical state research division from that um and also from the human sciences research council good afternoon professor uh nania thank you so much for joining us today here on voice islam Um good afternoon it's good to be with you thank you. Um professor with all the BRICS headlines is it realistic to expect this new uh financial system to make a- an impact um uh, and if any for at least a decade will this change uh, as some of our guests have said today it will change how um you know we we see the world in the next 10 20 30 years. Um I think certainly in the next 20 or 30 years uh, we're going to see changes but um we're certainly not going to see those changes now. Um it's going to take a long time to get rid of what we call dollar dominance um in the world. Uh what BRICS is going to be able to do or BRICS plus as we call it now is perhaps uh, train investment in our own currencies within BRICS. and now BRICS is much larger than it was it's 11 countries um so there's a lot to be uh, thankful for in terms of the changes that are happening a multipolar global order a focus on um a change in in inequality amongst nations um but i do think that it it will take a while for all the development banks etc to be able to get together and to create something that is an alternative to the dollar um but in 10 or 20 years i'm quite sure that we will get there right and um are, are western nations worried about losing value of euro sterling and dollar well you know of course it's a risk um that that western nations are facing um and what is interesting was the development after brics the g20 
um, did something very interesting and included the African Union um, into the, the, the G20, um, which was a bold move, I think, and maybe uh, done to counteract what was done in South Africa with BRICS and the growth of BRICS, especially to include uh, the Middle Eastern countries and two North African countries. Uh, so there, there is a risk, but um, you know, the risk is... is when, when, was, uh, when was that, sorry to, to interrupt you, when was that, when, when did they include these countries? Was it recently then? Um, it was at the uh, BRICS Leadership Summit in Johannesburg in August uh, of this year. No, no, you mentioned about um, the G20, G20 including... Uh, oh, the G, sorry, sorry, the G20. Um, that happened very recently, about when the G20 was meeting uh, a week and a half ago. Um, in India, wasn't Modi it? Yeah. Yeah, Modi announced. Yeah, so so what it seems like it it seems like they they saw that there is a threat on the <laughs> other side of bricks being yeah. created, and they thought, yeah, okay, you know now. But again, you you see that the why people are so skeptic. It's because you know uh, some countries do not feel like they ever have a say in in the world politics mm-hmm. and economics, right? Correct. Um, and and that is the kind of game that's being played, I suppose. You know, mm. there are certain nations that want to dominate the global order. They want to dominate trade and, and finances. And, and other countries seem to be just be left behind. Um, so I think that the purpose of BRICS is to make sure that no one is left behind. You know, like the Sustainable Development Goals, it says nobody should be left behind. Mm. Um, but at the moment, we still have an unequal global order. And hopefully there will be some rebalancing that occurs with the growth of, of BRICS. But there will always be counter actions, if I want to say so, to try and prevent um, the, the dominance of, of the West being broken, so to speak, or being decreased. Although one doesn't want to see um, a sort of a new Cold War or a, a world that's divided into camps. Mm. Uh, we just want to see a world that's more fair, more just, um, and treats nations in a more equal way. Yeah, yeah, that that's the ideal uh, situation, isn't it? If if we were to work towards mm-hmm. that, but it seems like it's just two two blocks being created now, right? Uh, and uh, almost, uh, mm. you know, against each other, uh, unfortunately. Um, but. Um, you know, just wanted to ask you a question about China because recently we have heard yeah. a lot about uh, China being criticized by uh, Britain, saying China is, is, is a, the biggest threat to us. Uh, these kind of words, especially if we see that, you know, there, there's not really... I, I remember I saw a, an interview um, <clears throat> done with, I think it was the ambassador of uh, of China or maybe another... Uh, you know, high office, uh, um, you know, a representative or something. Mm -hmm. And the questions that were asked to him was that why is China a threat or what is China trying to, why is China trying to compete with with, with Britain? And his questions were so clear in a way that he was saying that we're not trying to compete. There is no competition because China is, you know, now the world's leading economy they're going to manufacture they're ahead in everything so there's no comparison there's no threat but sometimes these this rhetoric is just used to scare people do you agree with that 
Um, you know, to a certain extent, yes. Uh, you know, you create fear for what one calls the other, in inverted commas. Um, so there, there is a lot that's said about both China and Russia um, in terms of, you know, being a threat to the global order. Um, taking Russia off the table, of course, because there's the issue of the war. Um, China is a very powerful nation, um, and they've never said that they want to rule the world, so to speak. Um, they've always used a kind of a soft diplomacy uh, to say that they want to support South-South relations in particular. They want to rebalance the global order. They've not been shy of saying these things. And, um, I mean, South Africa certainly is not an enemy of, of China. You know, we're part of BRICS. Uh, we, we work with China well. Um, and we're not afraid of them because what they're doing in Africa is very positive. Um, mm -hmm. China is investing a lot in Africa, a lot in terms of infrastructure development. We can see the roads, the bridges, the trains. And so we don't have a problem with that. As long as they do not exploit anyone or they do not exploit Africa, I do not think that China should be seen as the enemy, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, well said. Um and uh, has the balance of financial and economic power shifted or uh, shifting? Is it shifting eastwards? Um, could you say that these events could potentially, you know, take us to a new kind of world order? Um, well, as we said at the beginning, I mean, there's definitely a world, new world order in the making. Um, but I think it's it's not going to happen uh, soon, I think there is a gradual process towards evolving towards something new, something that is more equal, something that is multipolar, but there will always be resistance to this, but ultimately, because ultimately it all boils down to money hmm. um, and to power. And so the people with the money and the power are going to be very reluctant to let go of that. The, the, the dollar basically, when, as they say, when the dollar sneezes, the world catches a cold. Now, that's a real kind of power that exists, and I think that that is going to take a long time to, to un, undo, to unbundle, and to come to a new way of doing things. But I think the, the expansion of BRICS, the inclusion of the Middle Eastern countries, the inclusion of the two new African countries in Argentina was really a, a, a show that BRICS is serious about um, changing things in terms of the international order, we'll just have to see if there's enough consensus to do so. And w what type of resistance do you think, uh, like what methods of resistance will there be to this potential new world order? Do you, do you foresee any? Well, well, you know, I mean, I, I think, I may be wrong, but I think what happened with the G20 was a form of resistance. Yeah. Um, you know, because Modi never mentioned at, at, at the BRICS Leadership Summit that um, he was considering inviting the African Union to join the G20. I don't recall him saying anything about that. But all of a sudden, a couple of weeks after BRICS has expanded, the G20 has done something really quite remarkable um, by, by adding the... the um, AU, the African Union, to its membership. Of course, the European Union is also already a member of the, the G20, so it makes sense. But that's the kind of test, you know, that is going to be played um, to make sure that um, the balance of power remains in the hands of those who have the power currently.
Right, and um, do you think there's something similar with the inclusion of the Middle Eastern states as well? Do you think that that, that was the real shift in, in power and influence? Because, you know, there's the shared um, goals as well, with, you know, Saudi Arabia being China's largest oil supplier. Do you, do you see that, um, like, that yeah. specific thing making a difference? Oh, that was a remarkable move. I don't think um, anyone was really expecting that. Um, you know, there was a lot of speculation prior to the leadership summit. There were 23 countries, something like that, who applied for membership. And when the three Middle Eastern countries were accepted into the fold, I mean, people were really amazed. Um, and I think they were oil-rich countries. Two of them, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, are still relative allies um, to the United States. So maybe political ideologies are still um, not, uh, you know, it's not a bipolar system or block that's being formed necessarily. Uh, but of course, um, you know, China has been working hard to sort out relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and they've managed to do so. And both of those countries are now part of BRICS, and that's a very, very powerful message to the world. Um, that this this is serious. That they're taking this very seriously. Hmm. All right, uh, Professor Nania, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, very interesting conversation, and uh, very interesting how these uh, uh, events will develop uh, further on as well. Thank you so much for uh, joining our program today. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, have a great day. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to uh, call. You have uh, literally like two minutes. If you want to squeeze in your call, we can take it. Otherwise, we are coming towards the end of our program. So, uh, yeah, uh, call tomorrow then maybe. Yeah. <laughs> or you can vote. On or you our can yeah poll yeah you can tweet Instagram. us at yeah. any time right. There's no time restrictions yeah. on our tweets. So tweet us anytime at Voice of Islam UK. Fahim, any last words from yourself? Well, just quickly mentioning the Instagram poll that we have, mm. do would the BRICS common currency be a threat to the dollar? We want to hear your thoughts, uh, whether yes or no. Um, so for me, I think that this is really interesting that um, it's kind of a, it's a challenge to the status quo. And I think that with any situation, if uh, it, it's the people in power have got too comfortable. Mm. To put it to put it frankly, and I think that ultimately you need to uh, always uphold justice uh, and fairness. And when that's happened, like so, for me, whenever I think of international politics, you know what I imagine? In my head, I imagine a, a school playground, right, where there's like just different people, and like they make these groups. And I feel like uh, certain uh, certain countries have kind of like created their own groups. Uh, dominated and controlled what everybody bullying, bullying, yeah. Other, yeah exactly what what have uh, controlled what's happening in the playground if you control the money and the wealth then you control <laughs> basically the future and the policies of those countries exactly. as well right and so th- and and just just another uh, like group of kids that are like hey well why don't we pl- make our own game mm. <laughs> and i think that that's the kind of thing that's happening yeah. and i think for me that that's the really interesting well, you could be a great uh, political analyst you know <laughs> <laughs> Such a simple way to, yeah, just, to put yeah, it. <laughs> politics is a playground. But yeah, no, I, I think it's really interesting and only the uh, only time will tell. Yeah. 
Anyways, I think, uh, as we said, uh, Islam has solution to all of these uh, issues. Uh, but for that, you need to act with justice. And yeah. that's something that His Holiness, uh, worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has been saying for more now, than 10, 15 years. Yeah. And continuously reminding people of their duties, continuously reminding nations not to be greedy, uh, to look after each other, because ultimately that will be of benefit to everyone, to everyone you know the yeah. wealth will not stay with with a few people and that's the frustration that we see today yeah. even in these countries people are complaining that uh, so uh, we're going to go to the news very soon uh, join us tomorrow for another live program